0: I was concerned and frustrated for so many years, as I'm sure many of our listeners have been, uh, that in my judgment, we have strayed so very far from what our founding fathers intended us to be as a country. There's so many ways in which that is true. Uh, Look at the ever-expanding scope of our federal government. The explosion of bureaucracy and government regulation. An increasingly Orwellian society that we live in Welcome to
1: Line, a product of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Gabriel Jaja, producer. You just heard the Honorable Mark T. Boonstra, author of In Their Own Words, speaking on the insights into the minds of our founding fathers on the subject of religion. It's clear now more than ever that our country is no longer the one inhabited by our founding fathers— Boonstra claimed that we have essentially lost our relationship to God. According to our country's sacred documents, we were established as one nation under God. Our rights were given by God. We appealed to God for protection. And freedom to worship God was a primary concern. Things are a bit different now. In his book, Boonstra brings to light what our founding fathers truly believed about America as a nation united under God. You can find additional resources in the show notes of this episode, as well as previous episodes on our website at actin.org podcast. If you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Act Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.
2: Welcome. My name is Dan Huger, Librarian and Research Associate at the Acton Institute. Today I am joined by Mark Boonstra, a judge for the 3rd District of the Michigan Court of Appeals. He is the author of the three-volume series, In Their Own Words, Today's Godless America, What Would Our Founding Fathers Think? His wife, Martha Rabault Boonstra, is also a contributor to the book, which includes biographical information about and also anthologizes the writings and quotations of many of America's founding fathers, demonstrating how they saw belief in God and the practice of religion to be essential to and not separate from a free society. Today, we'll be discussing the first volume of that series, which covers America's founding documents, as well as the writings of the New England signatories of the Declaration of Independence and other founding documents. We'll also dive into his and his wife's motivations for undertaking this massive project and how they hope it will provide a resource to those involved in ongoing debates about secularism and the nature of the American republic. Mark, welcome to Act in Line, and thank you for being with us. Thank
0: you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Now, these volumes, they're they're wide-ranging volumes um, in this series in their own words, and each contains a brief tribute to the late Congressman Louis C. Rebeau, who was was Congressman Rabault, and how does his legacy— inform this project.
0: So Congressman RaBeau represented the Detroit area of Michigan for many years, actually from the 1930s into the 1960s. And uh, he came from a devoutly Catholic family. Uh, As my wife could tell you, it included many priests and nuns. Uh, He was from the Democrat Party, although I would suggest it's a somewhat different party today than it was when he served in Congress. Uh, But he was my wife Martha's grandfather. Uh, And uh, importantly, he was the author of the resolution, uh, the first resolution. I think there were some subsequent ones as well. But he was uh, the author of the resolution that added the words under God to our Pledge of Allegiance, which President Eisenhower signed into law in 1954. Um, Congressman Rabot honored the legacy of our founding fathers by doing so. And we wanted to honor him as well by offering a tribute in the book for his acts to continue the legacy of our founding fathers and to remind America of the fundamental religious underpinnings of our nation. Excellent. And and in
2: addition to this tribute, which is in each of the volumes and gives the reader this sort of context, there's also a common... Uh, set of documents, some of America's founding documents, including the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the Constitution of the United States that are included in each volume. Why are these documents in particular so central, and how do they inform the choice of which of America's founding fathers have wound up in this anthology?
0: Right, and I've also included my own uh, introduction to those three uh, founding documents, but for purposes of this book, I obviously needed to define in some way who our founding fathers were, and you see that term used in different ways. Uh, there's no, really no clear and accepted definition of who our founding fathers were. Sometimes people use the term to refer only to the, the big names that we all know uh, and that we all have heard of, but the truth is there were many more people than that who were involved in the founding of our country. So I wanted to explore the religious foundation of our country in a way that would look at our founding fathers more broadly than that. And even the broad definition that I chose will leave out some people, uh, for example, people who may have served in the Continental Congress at that time and were involved in the debates leading up to these uh, documents, but who may not have signed the Declaration of Independence uh, themselves. Uh, Other people who played important roles like John Jay, for example, who was one of the authors, one of the three authors of the Federalist Papers, but he didn't happen to be a signatory to these documents. But in order to have a universe of people that I could get my arms around for purposes of this book, I opted to define the term Founding Fathers as anyone who signed either the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, or the United States Constitution, And as I say, perhaps others will be left for another day, uh, uh, but this broad definition includes 118 people who signed one or more of those documents. There were two that signed all three, uh, various ones signed um, uh, one or the other, a couple of them, uh, but 118 people signed at least one of them. So why those documents? Uh, Really because they are the three principal foundational documents of our country. Uh, The Declaration of Independence obviously declared our independence from Great Britain, uh, declared that our rights, including to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, were endowed to us by our Creator. It appealed to the supreme judge of the world, and it asserted our rights with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. The Articles of Confederation and the Constitution were more legalistic documents in the sense that they, uh, they set up the structure in the form of government. And the Articles, of course, uh, governed the country when it was first formed and later gave way to the United States Constitution. But even those articles were premised on the uh, fundamental religious uh, underpinnings of the Declaration. The articles uh, being premised, uh, in its words, on the great governor of the world having inclined the hearts of the legislatures to approve and authorize the adoption of the articles. And the Constitution similarly was premised, in its preamble, on we the people establishing the Constitution in order to secure secure what it described as the blessings of liberty. As it turns out, uh, with 118 people, this was a rather massive project. Uh, and frankly, I'm, I'm not sure I fully appreciated the scope of what I was taking on when I began the research, but I thought it important that people understand who these people were and, and what they believed.
2: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's wonderfully, and again, you know, this is a very comprehensive vision. There are, there are very few folks left, you know, when I was, when I was going through it, I noticed, you know, John Dickinson is in there. Who famously did not sign the Declaration of Independence, but was involved in other aspects of the American founding. So it gives it gives a really broad, probably as broad as you could manage. Particularly, um, and you know, we'll get into this. This is multiple volumes, so um, I think I think it's a great it's a great principle um, that you use there to organize this. Um, <clears throat> so there there are some. You know, there's this family legacy that informs some of the project. There's, of course, you know, your own keen interest, but those are things you can preserve in family, in private life. What, what motivates you to, okay, how do we present this to the public? What are you hoping um, for, that, for, that, for that more public-facing nature of the project? its purposes.
0: So what led me to take on this project, uh, uh really, I think is what you're asking. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, um, you know, as a citizen, uh, I, I was concerned and frustrated for so many years, as I'm sure many of our listeners have been, uh, that in my judgment, we have strayed so very far from what our founding fathers intended us to be as a country. And, um, as I say in the prologue to the book, uh, there's so many ways in which that is true, uh, and I won't take them all on here. I, won't, I don't take them on in the book, but look at the ever-expanding scope of our federal government, the explosion of bureaucracy and government regulation, an increasingly Orwellian society that we live in uh, that we see uh, you know, more and more every day. Uh, we could go on and on and on. And, you know, in many ways, it seems that we've become exactly what we rebelled against back in the 1700s. Uh, But as frustrated as I was, as my thoughts crystallized over time, I came to the conclusion that there was one fundamental underlying reason for all of that, and that is that we have lost God, God and a fervent belief in a supreme being from whom our rights came was central to who our founding fathers were, to the to their vision for the new nation they were establishing, and to the very founding of the country. But modern society, in my judgment, has worked hard to strip us of what made America America. Secular forces have are trying to banish God, and with it they are gutting America of the very essence the core and foundation of what, it, what made it America from its very founding. In my personal opinion, we're in the midst of what has been a continuing battle since the day Satan fell from heaven, a battle of good versus evil, and it's a battle that has now reached a tipping point in America. I believe, as do so many people who have already expressed to me their excitement about what I've put forth in this book, That our founding fathers are rolling over in their graves, looking at what we've done to our country. But really what I set out to do in this book is not to try to persuade people, uh, but rather to inform them. It's time to tell the truth. It's time to teach that truth to our kids. And it's time to educate Americans about our founding fathers, about the importance of religion in the founding of our country and about the Founders' belief in the importance of religion to our society. So I set out to inform and then to invite people to make informed judgments for themselves.
2: Yeah. And what's really great, I mean, what, I mean there, there are many great things about the book, but what's really great is you often hear folks invoke the Founders, and it's this very general thing. And you actually do sort of the painstaking work to go through and talk about these people individually, and in each of the founding fathers here, um, there's there's a short biography featured. Um, how are these? And, and these are these are very unique sort of biographies. And how how are they unique than something that people would get in you know a normal sort of American history textbook?
0: Right. Yes. So as I said, there's 118 of these people, and I um, painstakingly researched each of them. Um, And I've provided a biography of each, Um, and as it turned out, because of the volume of material involved, I ended up splitting the book into three volumes. Uh, Volume one covering the New England colonies, volume two covering the middle colonies, and, and volume three will cover the southern colonies. And those are biographies, so of course they include information about the accomplishments of each signer, offices they held, and so on and so forth. But the principal focus of the biographies really is on who these people were and where they came from from a religious perspective. It includes information about the signer's religious life. That's the primary focus, and it often also includes genealogical information that really helps to paint a fuller picture of who these people were as people and where they came from. In many cases, you'll find that they have extensive clerical lineages in their their background. Again, though, the objective was to inform people about the Founding Fathers and specifically to inform them about the Founding Fathers in relation to their religious life and background.
2: Yeah and there's wonderful you know it's it starts off with uh you know there's always an entry about their confessional heritage what their what their particular religious background was and it's it's a great it's a great reference to just sort of sort of comb through at your leisure you can skip around and there's 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 just a ton to learn
0: as i as i sometimes say to people it's it's bite sized this isn't a book you have to read cover to cover you can take one signer at a time absolutely so now each, each of these each
2: of these founders also there's there's a series of quotations in the, in their own words, um, and you know excerpts from speeches, letters, all sorts of sources. How did you go about deciding which quotations to feature? because many of these men are amazingly prolific.
0: Yes, they are. Uh, and and it was easier to find for some than others. Uh, but after each of the biographies, what I have done in the book is to include a series of quotations from that particular signer. And, and, and what I did in selecting them is these are quotations that relate to issues of religion and to that founder's view of uh, the place of religion in our society. Uh, as you said, some of the quotations are from speeches, others are from letters, from proclamations they may have issued, from diary entry, entries etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But again, my objective was to inform people about the signers, who they were and what they believed. And in my judgment, the best way to do that was not to tell people what I believed uh, they believed, <laughs> but rather to let the founders speak for themselves, uh, hence the title of the book in their own words. Let the reader free- see for themselves what that signer actually said in their own words about religion and the place it should have in our society.
2: Yeah, and all of these are all there's. There's a lovely set of endnotes that run throughout the volume, so it, it, it even points people to resources if they want to read further on these things. If they want to, you know, take do their own investigation, um, it provides uh, all those resources, which is really outstanding. Each
0: quotation in the book has uh, has the source document reference. Yes.
2: And throughout these, the series, so you've got these biographies, and then you have these these quotations in their own words, and then there is a, a a question posed, and it's a sort of what would this particular founding father think? And these are framed there's there's contemporary news stories, you know, um, from well largely the last decade from a variety of sources. Having to do something about the the contested place of religion in public life in America today, um, what were you hoping readers take away from these selections?
0: Yes, correct. This was uh, this was my effort to get people thinking, thinking for themselves, thinking about where we are as a country today, comparing it to what we were founded to be. Uh, so, so at this point in each chapter for each signer, I have already provided a biography about who the signer was from a religious perspective, and I've provided quotations, what the signer actually said in their own words about religion and its proper role in our society. And I then contrast that with examples of things that are happening in modern day America. The reader can then decide for themselves what they think that particular signer would think about that event from modern times and about where we are generally in America today. And I'll just give you a couple examples. Uh, we're talking about Volume 1 today. So uh, let's take the, the very first uh, signer uh, 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 discussed in, uh, in Volume 1 is John Adams. Um, after the reader learns about John Adams and sees what John Adams said in his own words about religion in America, uh, for example, just one example of, in, from the book in, in 1756, in a diary entry, he said, quote, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be? And after that, the reader sees an example from California, where a mom packed a school lunch for her son. And with it, she would include a Bible verse and her own personal note to her own son explaining the verse. And the boy liked them so much that he shared them with his friends. And they liked them so much that they asked for copies. Well, how did the school react? The school told the boy's parents, oh, this is not allowed. The boy could only share his notes off school property. So the boy and his parents, they, they complied with that directive But the school then went further and still banned the notes entirely. Again, the boy and his parents said, okay, we'll comply with that. But uh, the school apparently was not even satisfied with that because what did they do then? They then sent the sheriff to visit the boy's home to enforce, apparently under the force of law, the school's ban on Bible verses. Another example, after the reader learns about Henry Marchant, that's a name you may not have heard before, but he was a signer of the Articles of Confederation from Rhode Island. But after the reader learns about Mr. Marchant and what he said about religion, I'll give you another example. In 1778, he wrote a letter to his children, and he said, "...strive to excel in all useful knowledge." especially such as relates to God and that other world where we are all to go. And after that, the reader sees an example from Wisconsin, uh, where a group of moms would meet their high school age kids for lunch, not even at the school, off school grounds completely. Well, the school again banned the lunches because... In addition to the moms bringing in a nice home-cooked meal for their kids, which the school said it had to approve, but hadn't, hadn't approved in this case, um, the lunches included a Christian-themed inspirational message, and that apparently was not acceptable to the school. But uh, I, I then asked the reader to think about what John Adams and Henry Marchant in those cases would think about those events from modern-day America. And in each chapter, I do something similar for each signer. Yeah, no, and it's a, it's a thought. It's 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 not even. I, I like
2: it because it's it's not even. It's a non-directed question. It's just okay. <clears throat> we've given you some of the background. We've given you some of these words to ponder, and now th- take a look at our contemporary society anew, and take a look now informed. By what you've learned, and I think I think that's a really great and and helpful way of framing it. Um, it encu- it encourages you know a use of the imagination.
0: Um, well, which... and, I, and I'm really not here to give all the answers. Uh, I, I'm asking questions and uh, and asking people to inform themselves and think about these things uh, themselves and to ponder what they think the right answer is. Yeah, absolutely. Now. You've done a lot of research, and I'm sure you've
2: encountered um, some surprises, some 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 curveballs, maybe that you weren't expecting, and then also, you know, folks that you know you may have been more familiar with, but that that they just learned so much more about, um, and that and that opened your eyes to new ways of thinking, um, thinking through what it is to be an American, and, and um, you know. Could you give us a couple of examples of either those surprising or those, or those, or those you know, ones that really caused you to reflect and, and grow yourself and your own knowledge and appreciation?
0: Yeah, and uh, that really is such a hard question to pick and choose because, as you say, there were, uh, there's 118 signers, thirty 35 are covered in Volume 1. Uh, some, you know, others you've never heard of, but each one of them has their own fascinating story. Um. If I had to pick a couple, I guess one would be uh, Alexander Hamilton. Um, And I I say that in part because, um, you know, you may have seen the play Hamilton, and and I have as well, but I did my research on Hamilton before I ever saw the Hamilton play. And it really gave me a greater appreciation for the play. In fact, as I was watching the play, I was thinking, boy, I'm sure glad I researched him because things are happening so fast up on the stage, I might have missed them unless I didn't know some of this already, but... He, he it was a fascinating story as, as you, you may know if you've if you've uh, seen the play but he rose from such hard scrabble beginnings on a Caribbean island by the name of Nevis uh, he was actually denied an Anglican education because he was considered an Ill- illegitimate child his, his mother had been in an abusive relationship and she left her abusive husband who managed to uh, make sure she was denied the right to a divorce. So when she uh, entered into a relationship with Hamilton's father, it was considered a common law marriage, but they couldn't make it a legal marriage. So he was denied uh, an Anglican education, uh, being considered illegitimate. He was then uh, schooled under a Jewish woman who taught him to recite the Ten Commandments in Hebrew. Um, His father then abandoned the family. His mother died when he was only 12. Um, but um, uh, he acquired a mentor. We all need a mentor. He acquired a mentor, Reverend Hugh Knox. Reverend Knox was a local Presbyterian minister on the island, and with Reverend Knox's assistance, Hamilton made his way to New York. He lived with uh, William Livingston, who later became a signer himself, and you'll find him in these books as well. Um, And he interviewed for college with another person who became a a signer in his own right from New Jersey, Reverend John Witherspoon, president of the College of New Jersey, now Princeton University. Uh, But actually, he wanted to pursue an expedited course of study at at, uh, the College of New Jersey, and uh, that apparently wasn't allowed. So Hamilton ended up instead at the Anglican King's College, which is now Columbia University. And there he became not only an ardent patriot, but he was known for his fervent prayers and his zealous Christian beliefs. He obviously became one of our greatest founding fathers, uh, but religion was really central to his life. He proposed a Christian constitutional society. He ensured that his children were raised in the church. As you know, of course, he, he perished in a duel with Aaron Burr. But what you may not know is that he had lost his own son in a duel just a few years before, so he fired his pistol harmlessly into the air, but interestingly had previously, before that, written to his wife, charging her to remember that she was a Christian and that the will of a merciful God was good. He also received communion on his deathbed from one of the ministers he had befriended when he first came to New York Uh, Someone he had uh, met through his mentor, Reverend Knox. And in that um, uh, communion, uh, he affirmed his, quote, tender reliance on the mercy of the Almighty through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I had to pick another from Volume 1, I I guess uh, that I maybe learned the most from, I I think I'd pick John Adams. And there's two Adams in the book, of course, and they're related, Uh, John Adams was the younger second cousin of Samuel Adams, who in his own right was um, called the father of democracy and the firebrand of the revolution. Among other nicknames, one was Sammy the Maltster because they were in the the brewing business, his family was. Um, But they were both descended from Henry Adams, uh, who was a Puritan dissenter from the Church of England back in Somersetshire, England. And he came to America to escape, as so many people did, to escape religious persecution in his homeland and to establish what he viewed as a new city of God. Uh, John Adams' father, who was of the same name, was a deacon in his own right in the first congregational church in Braintree, Massachusetts, and his maternal great-grandfather, Deacon Samuel Bass also served as a deacon there for 50 years, dating back to the time the church was first organized. And John Adams was baptized in that very church by, another name you'll know, uh, Reverend John Hancock, who was the father of signer John Hancock. And Adams was then schooled in Reverend Hancock's home by a fellow by the name of Joseph Marsh, Marsh himself was the son of Reverend Joseph Marsh, who was Reverend Hancock's predecessor in the pulpit of that church. Adams uh, nearly followed his father's wishes and pursued the ministry, as his, uh, his uncle, Joseph Adams, Reverend Joseph Adams, had done. Uh, instead, he went into law and he ended up marrying Abigail Smith, later, of course, the first lady of the United States in a ceremony that was performed by Abigail's father, Reverend William Smith, who was the pastor of the North Parish Congregational Church in Weymouth. Weymouth. I'm not quite sure how you say that name, Massachusetts. Um, Adam's Congregationalism, and that, of course, was at that time the established religion of the colony of Massachusetts. Uh, But uh, he turned toward Unitarianism. Uh, but while he was in the Continental Congress, he often attended two or three church services on a single Sunday. He would go to Anglican churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian, Methodist, Quaker, German, Moravian, and, and even Roman Catholic churches. He was one of the, obviously one of the most instrumental leaders in the founding of America. And he wrote to Abigail as he voted for independence that America had been born, quote, by the solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty, unquote. He feuded with Thomas Jefferson, of course, but they did repair their relationship in their later years, and the two of them passed away, fascinatingly, on the same day, July 4, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Adams was uh, old for that time. He was 90 years old, uh, and um uh, given his uh, complicated history with Jefferson and not knowing that Jefferson had actually passed away earlier in the day, his last words were, quote, Thomas Jefferson survives. <laughs> Just uh, really a fascinating story. Yeah. No,
2: that is that is amazing. And those, the, you know, as you pointed out earlier, those sort of very clerical lineages are not uncommon and the Adams family is certainly
0: an excellent example of that. Throughout the books, you'll see that more than you could imagine, yes.
2: Now, the series is currently made up of two volumes, um, and we've, ta- we've talked a little bit about the first volume, which is the New England uh, signers, and then the second volume uh, is on the middle colonies. And, and you've touched already, there, there are plans for at least one, one future volume.
0: Yes, so volume one does cover the signers from the New England colonies, which um, is comprised of Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Rhode Island and New York. Uh, volume 2, which is also out, covers the signers from the middle colonies, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland. And Volume 3, which is expected out in 2022, will cover the signers from the southern colonies, which are Virginia, North and South Carolina, and Georgia.
2: Excellent. Know, um, the legacy of the American founders presented in this series um is a very religious one. What do you hope that people of faith will take away from exploring this legacy? And then there's also there's also bound to be um some more secular minded readers and what do you hope that they take away from this legacy that you present to them?
0: Yeah, I hope there are. I hope everyone reads this book because I think it's a book that every American needs needs to read. But I, again, I would reiterate my 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 purpose was really not to persuade, but rather to inform, and then to invite everyone to think about these things for themselves and to engage in a meaningful dialogue, something, as Father Sirico noted just the other night at Acton's annual dinner, we don't do often enough anymore today in America. But I'm hoping that people of faith will feel encouraged, that they will be reassured that what they know in their heart about America and its founding is really true. We were founded as a religious nation. And to the more secular-minded folks, I hope that they will receive this with an open mind and with introspection, and that they will educate themselves about who our founding fathers were and about how fundamental religion was to the founding of our country, and that they will really think about whether America as it exists today is the one they really want their children to grow up in. Now,
2: we've talked, we've dived in depth a little bit on a couple figures from that first volume. Can you give us sort of a, a preview of coming attractions? Um, uh, something, some other things that readers can look forward to. Maybe in volume two, which is already out, and, and also in the forthcoming volume, volume, volume three on the southern colonies.
0: Sure. Vi- volume two, as I said, covers the 43 signers from the middle colonies. Uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland. And again, as in Volume 1, lots of fascinating people there, including, uh, for example, Ben Franklin, another one of our greatest founders who led a truly amazing life. Uh, And this is a guy who really only had two years of formal education. Again, someone his father wanted originally to go into the ministry, but they had, I think, 13 or 15 uh, children and ended up not being able to afford everything it took to educate them all the way he might have wanted. And Franklin was, uh, I think, the youngest son of the youngest son for five generations or something. Um, but Ben Franklin was an amazing person, They and, and they want you to think he was a deist. Do you hear that, that? Oh, Franklin was a deist. Well, what they don't tell you is that he was an intensely religious man who even wrote his own liturgy. And sometimes when, when he wasn't happy with a particular church that he was attending or with the minister who was pastoring at that time, he didn't leave religion. He followed his own liturgy during those times. And it's true when he was 18 years old, he did say that he was a deist. But what they don't want you to know, perhaps, is that an older and wiser Franklin later declared that to be one of the great errata of his life. Uh another example from uh, volume uh, volume two, another one from Pennsylvania actually is Benjamin Rush. You may you may may or may not know that name, but he was the founder of American medicine. Uh he wrote, for example, one of his quotations quote, The only foundation for a useful education in a republic is to be laid in religion. Without this, there can be no virtue. And without virtue, there can be no liberty. And liberty is the object and life of all republican governments. Contrast that with where American education is today. Uh, so those are a couple examples from volume two. Volume three will cover the signers from the southern colonies, which I mentioned in addition to North and South Carolina and Georgia will cover the important Virginia colony. Uh, and that, of course, includes people like George Washington and James Madison and Thomas Jefferson and um, for that one, I'll just say stay tuned for more specifics for when that's released next year. Excellent.
2: And where can folks get the volumes that are that are currently out now?
0: Yeah, so uh, lots of sources. Uh, increasingly, if I think you'll find it in more places. If you're, especially if you're local, uh, give me a call, send me an email. Uh, you can get a signed copy from me. But uh, we do have a um, a website for the book. It's called foundersownwords.com. Um. And there are uh, there are three links uh, on that website um, uh, to, to where you can buy the book. One is at Liberty Hill Publishing, the publisher of the book, which from my perspective would be a preferred option. <laughs> uh, but it's also available, and there are links on the website, to Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And I know it's available elsewhere, online, Target, and other places. And it's, uh, it's available in uh, Christian bookstores. In fact, we had... Um, it's it's it's, it's uh, just been picked up uh, at uh, Focus on the Family. Uh, Focus on the Family is uh, of course based in Colorado Springs. Uh, it recently, just a couple of months ago, opened up its first satellite bookstore in Holland, Michigan, right here where I live, actually. Oh, wonderful. And uh, and uh, they are now stocking and carrying my book, and uh, it'll soon uh, be in the, if it isn't already, in the Colorado Springs bookstore Focus on the family as well. But uh, search for it online, go to the website, send me an email at uh, uh, foundersownwords at gmail.com.
2: Yeah, excellent. And we will put up links uh, in our show notes for the episode episode to uh to that site and places you can pick up the book and uh and yeah if you are local in Grand Rapids um you can reach out reach out to us and we will put you in contact uh with Mark about getting you a signed copy Mark thank you so much for being with us today on Acton Line and uh and good luck um on the continuation of this already good work
0: thank you so much Dan it's uh, really an honor and a pleasure to to be with Acton today
1: As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you'd like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at producer at actin.org. Until next week, for Act online I'm Gabriel Jaja.